today, well, not this season, of being a member of Northwest Baptist Church. Can you, can you imagine that? <laughs> Fall of 1997. And I'll keep talking while he adjusts. Fall of 1997. Thank you, sir. And uh, Dr. Herman Reese, right over here, invited me to Northwest and got here, couldn't find a better place to go. And I've been here for 25 years. It's a great place to be. Now, if you're not coming on Wednesdays, you need to come. 6.30 to 7.30. Okay? In the house of prayer, we're answering questions that church people ask. Okay? And the staff is doing a fantastic job. Now, we don't allow stonings on Sunday morning, but we allow it on Wednesdays, okay? So, <laughs> I'm safe today, but they have to teach. They have to be right on Wednesdays. Uh, but uh, it's just a delight to be here this morning praying for the pastor and, and our team uh, and excited about preaching uh, God's Word. Uh, I tend to teach a lot, but sometimes I kind of move over into preaching, okay? So, you know. You know when I've kind of transitioned between the two. Some of uh, both will uh, be happening. But there's no greater joy, no greater task, no greater vocation than to be chosen to preach God's word. Uh, Nothing above that. And, And I'm excited to do it. There are times in our culture and especially in our churches where it becomes necessary for us to reclaim biblical truth, reclaim, redefine some biblical definitions, reestablish our understanding of some major concepts. We are in one of those times right now, especially relative to the matter of faith, biblical faith. There's a lot of not-so-good teaching about faith, and some kind of way it's found its way into our evangelical churches, and people are confused, and there's a lot of discouragement and a lot of uh, disillusionment and Uh, I want to see if we can address some of those issues this morning. These things are important because our lives are dependent upon how we define some of these terms and how we apply them to our lives. And if we have bad definitions, then our lives will reflect that. I'm not sure if there's, apart from salvation, another topic that is more important as far as God is concerned, that we get right uh, when it comes to faith. Now, this I shared this message about six, seven years ago. The only person I remember being here was Matt. Matt was here. Just me and Matt. <laughs> I saw him reaching for his pocket. Okay, I said, wait up, bro. Hold up. <laughs> but uh, no, I know Matt was here. And maybe some of you others were here too. So, if you see your neighbor kind of nodding off, it's not because I'm bored, okay? 
are boring. They've heard it before and they just nod off, okay? And it's okay. Uh, let it go. What is faith? <clears throat> F-A-I-T-H. What is it? Do you know what it is? Do you know when you have it? Where do you get it from? How important is it to God? Is it important to you? Is it important to the church? How do you get it? Do we have any biblical examples that we can follow to know how to understand uh, faith? What does the Bible teach about it or does it teach anything? I want to examine some of those questions this morning. If you stand with me and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 17. Luke 17. We'll look at verses 3 through 10. One of those passages that caused quite a confusion for me for quite a long time, and I thank God that he helped me understand it. I'm reading from the uh, New American Standard. It says, Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, Forgive him. If he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. The apostles said to the Lord, Lord, this is hard. Increase our faith. In Matthew chapter 18, it says seven times 70. Now, they had been used to just forgiving their brother seven times, okay? And that was it. And some of them had already reached number six, all right? And now he sent seven times 70, and they said, oh, we need help. Increase our faith. That just sets up. Jesus is teaching on faith. I'm not going to teach on forgiving your brother, but I am going to teach on faith. So this is a good question, is it not? Increase our faith. The Lord said, if you had the faith of the size of a mustard seed, you could say to the mulberry tree, be uprooted, be planted in the sea, and it will obey you. Now, which of you, having a slave plowing Attending sheep will say to him after he comes in from the field, Come immediately, recline at the table and eat. On the contrary, he, will he not say to him, Prepare something for me to eat. Properly clothe yourself and serve me while I eat, while I drink, and afterward you may eat and drink. He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which were commanded, you say, we are unworthy slaves. King James says, unprofitable servants. We have done only that which we ought to have done. Let's pray. Father, we are 
just come before you, ask you to teach us, dear God, and that you would be our teacher and the Spirit of God might say yes in the hearts of those who hear. May we not only be hearers, but doers also of your word in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Biblical faith. So before we delve into this passage on that we have before us, I want us to consider some of those questions that I've already addressed. First of all, what value does God or the Bible place on faith? Does God value it? Is it valuable in the Word of God? And how important is it? Is it important for us at all? Well, let's see. You won't have time to turn to these passages, but uh, I will give them to you. You can write them down and go to them later. Well, let's look at a, one Old Testament passage, Habakkuk 2.4. Habakkuk 2.4. The writer says, the just shall live by faith. Okay. All right. He shall live by it. That gets repeated several times in the New Testament, Romans 1.17. Uh, Paul writes, the just or the righteous shall live by faith. Galatians 3, 11 says, The just, the righteous, shall live by faith. Those who are justified are those who are declared right in the sight of God based upon what Christ did at Calvary. We are to live by faith. So whatever faith is, it is to be a part of my everyday living, moment by moment, day by day, step by step, I am to live by faith. It's not just something that I use when I get in a bind. You know, we call on God in the tough times and when we're in a bind, but faith is to be moment by moment, it's to be day by day, I'm to live by it. Not just when I don't have other answers. Not just when I don't have any other options. Now I'm going to use some faith. No. Faith is every day. Every moment. We live by it. Romans 1. I mean, Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore... Romans 5, verse 1, having been justified by faith, we have peace. So faith is important in this process of justification. How I get to be right with God is by what? Faith. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, for by grace we are saved through faith. Oh, faith is involved in my salvation experience too? Wow. Justified by it, saved through faith. That's not of ourselves, it's a gift of God, it's not of works lest any man should boast. And then Second Corinthians five seven says, We're to walk by faith and not by sight. Now walk means that you just keep moving step by step, putting one foot in front of the other. It's it's another way of saying I'm gonna live by faith. 
moment by moment, day by day. What are you living by? Alan, what are you living by? Hebrews 6, 11, I mean 11, 6. Hebrews 11, 6. Oh, without faith it is impossible to please God. Really? I'm not sure I found other, many other statements like that in the Word of God. Without faith it is impossible to please God. Hebrews eleven six. This one really caught me. Romans fourteen twenty three. Whatever is not of faith is sin. God. Really? Whatever is not of faith is sin. Well, would you not conclude with me that whatever faith is, it's really important to God, isn't it? Yeah, it seems like it ought to be important to us too. Faith is to be a lifestyle. Now, the the people that have the definition wrong, they seem to understand that a little bit better than we do because they try to use it, and they but they got the wrong definition. You see, and they use it. But what about us? We need to get this one right, don't we? You agree? How do we apply faith? Let me give you the most prevalent bad definition of faith that's kind of moving throughout our churches today. It, it comes from the word of faith movement. This is their definition. Faith is a force. We didn't read anything like that, did we? So that's where they start, okay? Faith is a force. Words are the containers of the force. Therefore, we create our own reality by the words that we speak. Faith is a force. Words are the containers of the force. Therefore, we create our own reality by the words we speak. Sound like we got some Star Wars stuff going on. <laughs> this is the definition that is the driving premise of the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. This is where this starts. This is what they teach. Let me unpack it a little bit. They say, first of all, that since we are created in the image of God, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, God made us in his image. Let us make man in our image. They say, based upon that, that we are little gods. Little gods, okay? And we have the same creative power that God has. Because we're little gods. How did God create? He spoke. Spoke things into being. That's where we kind of get this mantra, name it, and yeah, we're little gods. We can name it, we can claim it, we can speak it. 
So if you believe it and you speak it, you can have it. Believe it, speak it, have it. They also distort Proverbs 18.21 that said that you have the power of life and death in the what? Tongue. So you put those things together. I mean, that's pretty powerful, right? If you misunderstand it. So, of course, if that is true, what would I speak in the being for myself? Health, wealth, and what? Prosperity. Why would I speak anything else? Why would I speak trouble for myself? I might speak a little trouble for you. But uh, why would I do that to myself? Why would I speak any trials on myself? Any suffering for myself? I don't think that's a whole lot of power in the hands of a sinful man. What if you upset me and I have that power? Headache for you. Migraine, okay? How about that one? <laughs> Not doing the day, but at night, okay? <laughs> when you try to sleep. <laughs> I thank God I don't have headaches. Uh, I pray for my wife. She has them sometimes, but, but I hear that that's pretty bad. But you see what kind of problem we have? With, with, and people say, well, don't speak this on me, and don't speak that on me, and don't speak this on me, and don't speak that. Listen, if I had a, I can't, I can't do it. I, mean, I can't speak. <laughs> what are you talking about? Nothing I say is going to affect it. You know, I can ruin your reputation. Now, that's the power of life and death. See, I can ruin your reputation by the words that I speak. That's the proper interpretation of that. You see, I can ruin you. I can slander you. I can lie on you. But I can't. Do this other stuff. Why are so many of them still in poverty in the first place? <laughs> What's going on? They also misinterpret the Isaiah 53 passage by his stripes we are healed. They think that the writer is speaking about physical healing. If there were so, then no one who is a believer should die, right? Because he commands that. He says that by his stripes, you are healed. Why do they die? Is God lying? Can he lie? The promise is actually for spiritual healing. Does God heal physically? Yes, he does. Does he always heal physically? No, he doesn't. But all of us will get eternal physical healing when we get our glorified bodies. Amen? But in this life, we shall have what? Trials and tribulations. We don't want them, but they come. Misinterpretation of this passage leads to a lot of disillusionment and discouragement and I was in a church service not long ago with this, I guess he was 
some pretty important preacher. I didn't know his name, but everybody else there knew him. I was out of state. I was in the wonderful state of Texas. You know, glory to God. Have me. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, he got up to speak. And he was preaching on this passage. And thousands of people in the audience. And he says, tell you what we're going to do. According to this passage, God says you're healed. So I want you to take your hand. I want you to put it on the spot where you're hurting and where you're sick. And I'm going to count to three. And, at the, and at the, at, when we get to three, you're going to yell, I am healed. And everybody's going to be healed. So he said, one, two, three. And everybody yell, I am healed. I wanted to be at the exit. Say, sir, where did you put your hand? And ma'am, where did you put your hand? What happened to the people that didn't get healed that day? What happens to their face? I mean, it doesn't work. What are you talking about, God? And this happens all the time in large venues. The people have declared these things and and they go home and, 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 and they want something to happen. They really want it. I want it. You want it. They want it. Because they have misdefined the biblical face. And they don't know how to apply it. And people are hurting. As a new believer, you know, I kind of wrestle with these things. You know, I'm, you want to live by faith. You know, you want to have power. You know, heal the sick. You know, my dad was sick. And I walk into the room one day. And he got all this medicine on there. And I wanted to go throw the medicine. Be healed in the name of Jesus. You know You never thought that way. I'm the only one who thinks that way sometimes. You never, y'all never had those thoughts, huh? Is that what he's talking about there? So Jesus teaches us about faith. I think that was more foolishness than faith that I've just been speaking of. And so he says in um, verse 5, they say, increase our faith. Seems like a, a, a good response, right? If faith is important, if the Word of God has said it is, then we want more, right? God, give me more of that. They want more. But it seems like Jesus' response is kind of inadequate and strange. You want more, Jesus said, well, all you need is a mustard seed worth. Well, how much is that? How many of y'all know how big a mustard seed is? Not many. How many of you know what a, a sunflower seed is? Seen a sunflower seed? You seen a sunflower kernel? Chop it up into four pieces and take one of them. That's your mustard seed. He said, you just need that much. Like, Jesus, the guy asked you for more for you tell me you just need a sunflower seed for it. What are you talking about? I would have been, I said, Lord, I respect you, but what do you mean? That's all I need. Well, then he tells this story 
in verses 7 through 10, and it seems to be totally irrelevant. What are you talking about? That, what has got to do with faith? Jesus, the man, went out of the field and he came home and his master told him to fix something to eat. And What has got to do with faith? What are you talking about? That's what I just think about it. Well, let's see. I think if we can come up with a good biblical definition of faith, then we can see if that is what Jesus is teaching. All right? So let's see if we can define it, and we'll come back to the passage. Now, generally when we try to define faith, we go to Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, that's true, but explain that to me. Explain that to your six-year-old. So when I look for a definition of faith, I use another passage. I use Romans 10, 17. It says, faith comes by Hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So whatever faith is, it has at least two parts. Number one, if it comes by hearing, God must speak. God must speak, okay? God has to speak based upon what God says. And secondly, it's implied pretty strongly that we must respond in obedience to what God says, trusting or belief. God must speak. and God isn't speaking just for us to say, okay, whatever. He expects us to respond in obedience. So God speaks. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, and, and I Respond. So some people say, well, we can narrow it down to just trust in God. It's not bad, but the question is, what do you trust in God for? See? According to this verse, in this passage, we're trusting God for what he says. Okay? Biblical faith. So, do we have any examples? I'm going to run through these quickly. Is some examples in the Word of God. Does this definition work? Take this man, Noah. Genesis chapter 18. Noah is building a boat. He's not building a kayak, you know, a canoe. He's building something by double the size of an aircraft carrier. He's building it inland. There's no large body of water there. Some scholars think it's never rained on the face of the earth. It takes them years and years and years, and then he's preaching to these people it's going to rain. Other scholars think it's never rained on the face of the earth. What is wrong with Noah? You have lost your mind. Why is Noah building that boat? God said, build what? An ark. How do we know that Noah had faith? He does what? He builds an ark, inland, no rain, <laughs> no water, and people making fun of him. God must speak. 
we must respond. What about this guy, Abram? Abram. Abram. Name was changed to Abraham. God goes to him in Genesis chapter 12 and says to Abraham, Go from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I show you. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless you and make your name great. You shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and those who curse you I will curse. And then you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So God tells Abram, I want you to leave your country where you are and go to another country. Now, he has to go and tell his family. His dad had started from Ur going to Canaan, but he stopped in Hanan, and he never made it. So he's been living in Hanan, and so God says, go to Canaan. And so Abram goes over to his family and says, I'm leaving. Where are you going? Canaan, where's that over there? Got a house? No. Got a job? No. Who are you taking? Everybody. Uh, well, why are you doing that? God said it. Only reason. God spoke, told him what to do. He responded, and he left. He's 75 years old when he leaves, okay? Who relocates at 75? (laughs) Who does that? Yeah, the people are saying, man, man, man. Okay, but he left. All right, Genesis chapter 18, uh, verses 1 through 85, 25 years, years later, he's 100, okay? And he's got a wife, and she's 90, all right? And he's sitting out in the field, and the angels came up and said, Hey, Abraham, got a message from God from you. I said, Come on, man, come on. We'll pick you up and eat, sit down and talk. What God say? God say, You and Sarah going to have a baby. You say, What? Yeah, y'all going to have a baby. Yeah, I could imagine Abraham said, Does anybody tell Sarah? What? I'm a hundred, she's ninety, we gonna have a baby. I mean for Abraham, woo, we gonna have a baby. And does Sarah know and the angel said, Yes, she knows and she's laughing and she's saying, Listen, those guys are out of their mind. This is an old dude and I'm old and what are you talking about we're gonna have a baby? We having no baby. Does Abraham act in faith? Yeah, he does. His wife doesn't because later on she offers her maiden to him. She still don't believe it. Abraham believes it. How you know? Romans chapter 4, verse 18. Hope against hope, he believed. <laughs> I mean, it ain't getting any hope left that a 100-year-old guy and a 90-year-old woman trying to have a baby, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm, don't get any better than that, okay? I mean, we can't make that work. Science don't even make that work. Hope against hope. 
so that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall your descendants be. That's what he was talking about there. So look what it says. Without becoming weak in his what? Faith. He contemplated his own body, now as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief. But he grew strong in faith. He gave glory to God and being fully persuaded that what God had promised, he was able to perform. Therefore, it was accounted unto him for righteousness. God said, you're going to have a baby. Abraham said, okay, God, I believe you. God must speak. We must respond. Well, 14 to 21 years later, I mean, you know, he's had the baby and the little kid is growing up. Genesis 2, 22, I mean, 22, 1 through 12, God, Abraham gets a message from God. So, I mean, God says, kill the boy. Sacrifice him. Okay, God. <laughs> I heard you. So he gets the fire and he gets the wood. He gets the boy. He heads up the mountain. He tells the servant to stay behind. The boy says, I see the fire. I see the wood, but I don't see the sacrifice. And Abraham says, God will provide the sacrifice. And he stands there and he's about to kill him. And God says, stop it. Look over there, a sacrifice. Reminds us of the gospel, right? The substitute for our sins. Why is he up there about to slay his son? The only reason he's doing that is be what? God said it. How do we know he had faith? He responded. On and on. Moses at the Red Sea. Pharaoh behind him. Sea in front of us. Moses, we're going to die. What are you going to do? I got this stick. Put it out there. You know, <laughs> water gone part, go on dry land. Got it? Cool. Y'all with it? <laughs> Why is he standing there with a stick over the water and his hands stretched out and his rod lifted up? It's because God said. Raise up the rod and stretch out your hand. And the water's going to part. Man, we ain't got no water. God, the people about to kill me, they ain't got no water. What you want me to do? Slap the rock. Listen, people, I got you some water. Where you going to get it? From the rock. Water comes. Why is he slapping rocks for water? <laughs> We got to get past this Jericho wall. We ain't got no weapons. The big old wall, what are we going to do? Got it. We're going to march around once a day, okay, all of us. 
Last day we're going around seven times. We're going to yell. The wall's going to fall. Y'all come on, come on, come on. Man, this guy has lost his mind. We're going. Here we go. Why is he marching around the city wall seven times on the last day and yelling? And God said it. God said it. God said it. God said it. And he does it. Peter sees Jesus walking on the water. So Peter just jumps out of the boat and walks on the water. That's not what it happens. He says, Lord, if it's you, bid me come. God says one word, come. Why is Peter jumping out of the boat thinking he's going to walk on water? God said, come. He obeyed. God must speak. We must obey. Need I say more about that? Daniel, what are you doing not eating the king's food? God said, don't eat that stuff. You don't get small and tiny. That's okay. God's got it. I ain't eating it. Hey, guys, y'all need to bow down to this idol. You know, what's, y'all, need to, y'all need to do it. No, we ain't doing that. We're going to throw you in the fire. You go right on. God said, don't do that. I mean, if we go, we go. Fine. You know, God, I ain't doing it. Throw me in the fire. God's in the fire. And in the fire. God's in the fire. Walk with him through the fire. Daniel, now, you know you're supposed to only pray to the king. Daniel say, listen, I ain't praying to that king. I'm praying to God. Watch me. We're going to throw you down there with the lions. That's okay. Throw me down there. Throw me on down. He goes down there and the lions got locked joined. They don't eat Daniel. Because God said it. Let me tell you what faith is not. Faith is not a leap in the dark. Okay? Because it's dependent upon what God said. Okay? It's not a leap in the dark. It is not you take one step and God will take two. Sometimes God takes two to get you out of the one mess you stepped in. Alan, sometimes God takes two to take you out of the one mess you stepped in. Faith is not a strange, mystical empowerment only for the super spiritual people. It is not faith in one's own faith, manipulating God and commanding God. And Faith doesn't always have to make sense. It's dependent upon what God has said, and it does not always end in pleasant results. Paul says, listen, I've been beaten following God. I've been left for dead. I've been starved. I've been in prison. Hebrews chapter 11 says, some were mocked. Others were scourged. Some were whipped. Some were chained. They were imprisoned. They were stoned. Some of them were sawn in two. Tempted. Put to death by the sword. Some wore sheepskin. Some wore goatskins. Destitute. Afflicted. Ill-treated. Hungry. Thirsty. Living in deserts and mountain caves. Holes in the ground. Burned at the stakes. Crucified. Upside down. Why did they do it? God said. God said it. Why are you here, Alan? God said it. 
Why you move from Oklahoma, I mean from Tennessee to, 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 to Oklahoma, God said it. I was in a wonderful church. Didn't need to come here. God said you can't be a good father. 800 miles away, you need to relocate. I left. God said it. God speaks. We respond. Because God keeps his word. God keeps his word. We are totally dependent upon God's word. Heaven and earth will pass away, but not my. Every jot or tittle will come to pass. Forever, O oh Lord, your word is established in the heavens. Titus 1, 2, in hope of eternal life in which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. Hebrews six eighteen that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. God cannot lie. It is word is inerrant. It is infallible. It is God breathed, he told Timothy. He told Peter, it's more reliable than what you see with your eyes and what you hear with your ears. Jesus took Peter, James, and John the Mount of Transfiguration. He sees Jesus, he sees Moses and Elijah, and Peter says, how about I make a tabernacle for the three of y'all? And the God said, no, 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 don't do that. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And so he comes back and he tells Peter, listen, I have something that is more sure than what you saw with your eyes and what you heard with your ears. The word of God. Can you, the word of God is more reliable than your physical senses. It was the Old Testament test for a prophet. The prophet spoke for God. Deuteronomy 18, 17 through 22. If they made a prophecy and it did not come to pass in minute detail, they would just stone that person. Why? Because he was speaking for God. And God does what he says he's going to do in minute detail. Nothing left uncovered. At the time, at the place, everything perfect. He's God. The most reliable thing that we have on the face of the earth, people, is the word of God. I mean, nothing, nothing more reliable. God keeps his word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. God must speak. Y'all say he's going to be long. No, I'm not. I'm not done. So is that what Jesus is teaching? Back to Luke. Jesus explains biblical faith to his disciples. You have a slave in the field plowing and come from the field and do you tell him to sit down and eat and take care of yourself and take yourself a bubble bath and take yourself a nap and and uh, then you come and serve me? He said, no, we don't, it doesn't work that way. The master says, come immediately and take care of me. Prepare me something to eat. You get properly clothed when you do it too. Don't come in any kind of way serving me. 
while I eat and drink. And then when I finish, then you can have some. That's the way the master speaks. And does he thank him? He said, no, I don't thank him. He's just doing what he's commanded to do. So you too, we do all things which are commanded to say we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which is commanded us. Now, two parts. Faith, God must speak. We must respond. The key is in verse 10. You too, when you do all the things which you are commanded, we say we're improper, sir. We have only done that which we ought to have done. You need to ask yourself a question. What is the only responsibility of a slave to his master? Find out what the master says do and what do it. He has no other responsibilities. It's his only job. Do what the master says do. Sounds like Romans ten seventeen, right? God must speak, find out what the master says do. We must respond, do it. And so what Jesus is, 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 is uh, what he's saying here is that any time you find yourself doing what the master says do, you are living by, yeah, Anytime you find yourself doing what the master says do, you are living by, don't be afraid, you're living by faith. So, back up to verse 6. If God should say, tell the plant, get up, move, and go to the balcony. And I say, plant, get up and move and go to the balcony. What happens to the plant? It moves and it goes to the balcony. Why? Because God said, tell the plant. If God didn't say it, y'all calling the authorities on me. (laughs) Come get it. God said it. That's faith. 